Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that we can get together as church family and talk about plans for a new year. That we can talk about financial investment. Lord, we know that, that finances are important to you because you talk about them in your word. God, so much of where our hearts are sometimes are, are indicated by where our finances are and what we're generous with and what we're supporting, God. And I want us to be a, a generous community of people. I want us to be a generous church. And uh, Father, I thank you for a budget, a plan, an investment plan, God, that we would just wouldn't frivolously take the resources that you've given to us and just put them in, in unwise places, God. But we have a plan and a way that we want to see those to build the kingdom and to draw people close uh, to you and to the name of your son. And so we thank you for that, God. I pray this morning as we dive into your word, as we look again at another name for the coming Messiah, Father, mighty God, what that, what that means, God, what that means to us today, God, and how as the mighty God, you, God, through Jesus are just doing incredible things for us and in our lives. God, I pray right now that we, as we dive into your word, that it would honor you, that you would receive the glory and honor from our time together. Lord, we lay all this before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we are um, just kind of walking through this very familiar Christmas kind of passage. It's used a lot lot around this time of year. It's It's a passage that uh, is given as prophecy, so it's it's given as a as a picture of what the coming Messiah would be. Um, we've talked about in, in the weeks past about how there's a historical element to this, and so as 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 Israel in this moment, as Isaiah is writing this, he's talking about historically about one who would come and as as the as the Messiah, but also from a spiritual level, one that would come and set us free from our sin and our bondage to sin. And so uh, we've been looking through the names. And so last week we started talking about Wonderful Counselor. We talked about how wonderful Jesus is as our counselor and as as we navigate and as we walk through life and the issues of life and the heartaches of life, that we can bring those to the Wonderful Counselor. We can take those to Jesus and as we bring them to Him, he, in turn, through the guiding of his spirit within us, through the guiding of his word, um, as we pray and spend time in his presence, that he'll lead our hearts and he'll give us good, wise, wonderful counsel. We talked about last week uh, how wonderful it was that God didn't just uh, save us, which is, which is incredible, but he sent Jesus to come and live among us, that he came and wrapped on humanity. And so now we have a mediator between us and God that knows what human experience is and how he was tested in every way that we are yet without sin. And so he becomes the perfect example for us, the perfect God for us in our life. And so when we bring our issues and our problems to Jesus, it's not like we're bringing them to some distant foreign deity that has no understanding of the human experience, but he, he literally wrapped on flesh and has experienced that. And so we talked about that last week as, as wonderful counselor. And so today we're moving on to the next title that's assigned to Jesus here is the Messiah, which is Mighty God. Mighty God. And I think it's, it's helpful and useful for us to break up this phrase uh, into these two words, mighty and God, and then we'll put them together um, and, and see what, what the text is talking about. But first, mighty um, the word mighty really just uh, literally just means having strength or force or intensity, right? It's the, it's the Hebrew word gabor. Gabor, anybody want to say that? Gabor. I think you feel good to say that this morning, 
right? You get to go home and tell all your friends, we were at church and just said Gabor. That made me feel good. Um, Gabor, which which means like uh, mighty or warrior, right? And so El Gabor, this name for the Messiah, means God is a mighty warrior or God is mighty. Um, ultimately, this name speaks to God's power and ability that no enemy will overcome him or prevail against him. Um, he has the power to deliver exactly what he has been said to do in this prophecy by Isaiah. And if you'll remember, um, in our first week, we talked about uh, the first five verses of Isaiah's prophecy and about how this prophecy was one of a deliverer, one that would come and and set the people free from the coming um, enslavement that was coming their way. And and so this one, this mighty God is going to be one that is able to set them free. Now, now the, the concept of mighty, just like wonderful, is one that's used throughout the Old Testament and scriptures to describe God, right? And there's several places for that. Um, one of those is like Zephaniah chapter 3, uh, verse 17. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I love this verse. Uh, he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Um, Psalm chapter 45, verse 3, speaks of the might of the Lord. It says, gird yourself, um, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. Psalm 24, verse 8, says, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. So this word means strength and power. And then it's tied to this word God, mighty God, mighty God. And I think as last week, Uh, The phrase wonderful counselor uh, touched on Jesus' humanity. I think this phrase mighty God obviously touches on Jesus' deity. That he's fully God, fully man. Right? And so God, El, um, like like we've seen in in John chapter 1 verse 14 where it says the word became flesh, right? And dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the one and only Son sent from the Father. That word glory is, is described as a, use that, a word that's used to describe only the attributes of a deity of, of God. And so uh, here, or in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, where it says this. It says, your throne, O God. This is the Father speaking about the Son. Your throne, and he calls him O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so El means God. Now, in Hebrew, it's a very interesting uh, detail here. In Hebrew, does anybody know what the, the name for God is in Hebrew? Like the, 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 the Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh is one of them, but, but for general, for the word God, does anybody know? Elohim. Elohim, very good. Uh, and El is the abbreviation of Elohim, right? And so, throughout scriptures, when you see the word Elohim in the Hebrew, um, really that can be used for... Uh, it's used in a, in a kind of a wide range of spiritual beings. And so there's times that the word Elohim might be used of angel or a demon, right? And, and, and in our Bibles, when they translate it, a lot of times it'll be translated as lower G God, right? But it can also be used to describe God the Father, um, Elohim. Typically, that's with uh, the definite article in front of it. I know I'm getting really, really like Hebrew nerdy on us for just a second, but I promise I have a point. Um, but the word El, when it's abbreviated... As the word El in Scripture, it is only used to describe the deity of God, of the Godhead, right? And so here, as this word 
El Gabor is used to describe this coming one, right? This isn't just saying that this is going to be a spiritual being, but this is a sign pointing us to the deity of the one that is coming. All right, that's the significance of that, is that whenever you see the abbreviation L, it's only used uh, as describing God and nothing less. Um, and so as we, as we see here in the text that we have mighty and God, right? Mighty and God. God is able, right? I think that's, that's, that's what this phrase means. God is, God is able to do whatever it is that God wants to do, right? And I think most of us would say that today. And so today we're going to take and we're going to look at how this promised Messiah, this one that's coming, the one that we celebrate Jesus, is the mighty God. He is able to do, he has the ability to do whatever it is that he wants or needs to do. So God is, God is able. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to pause for a minute. We're going to, we're going to have a little discussion. Um, and, and here's what I want us to talk about. When you think of the word strength or mighty, right? When, when, you, when you think of mighty and strength, like what comes to your mind? So take a couple minutes. Um, and I'm going to give you two minutes. So literally a couple. Um, group up with a couple people around you and, and just discuss that. When, when you think of the word mighty, what comes to mind? And we're going to come back and look at this gift exchange that Jesus, the mighty God, brings to each one of us. Okay? Cool. Um, did, did anything like this come to your mind, maybe? Yeah? Yeah? yeah. yeah. Arnold, right? I'm not going to leave that stuff here too long. I will tell you that real quickly. It took an incredible amount of searching to find a picture of Arnold with his shirt on. So this is, yeah. So, but, but when we look at Scripture, right? When we look at Scripture, this is probably more the picture of how the Bible describes strength, right? Not Arnold, but, but Jesus, right? The, the, the narrative of Scripture says that true strength is not is not necessarily in the size of your muscles or, or this outward appearance, but it's, it's this. It's Jesus dying for our sins. It's Jesus being hung on a cross and in turn giving himself for us, right? Um, as you read through God's word, it, it points to this as being the pinnacle of strength, um, of, of what it looks to truly to truly be strong. In fact, Paul hits on this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says that for the world, uh, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Those that, that don't understand what this moment looked like, it looks like pure foolishness. To give yourself up, to die for people who weren't even thankful or care about you, that's, that's foolishness. But to us, those that understand what that was about, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the power of God. Not in your outward appearance, not in the muscles that you have, not in your ability to do things. But it's in this picture of Jesus giving himself up for humanity. And so as we've been talking through this series of gift exchange, we've been, we've been coming basically with this premise of that we bring things to Jesus in exchange for what he gives to us. And so we bring our brokenness and he gives us his salvation and sanctification and, and all of these incredible things, right? And so today, as we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's going to talk about Jesus being the mighty God and what that looks like in our life, we bring Jesus our weakness, right? We all care. There are things that we all have weaknesses in. And in exchange, he gives us his grace, right? He gives us his grace, in the midst of those. 
And so our passage today we're going to be looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. This is probably maybe a familiar passage for some of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And let me just set a real quick context for this, for this passage. Um, this is the Apostle Paul, right? He's writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth um, was a pretty messed up place. Right. In fact, he's had to write two letters because they've just really missed the mark. Uh, Corinth was a really busy, popular city. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of philosophies of the day that was going throughout Corinth. And so Paul is writing these letters to correct the thinking and the theology of this church. Um, and in this, in this section, in this passage, uh, Paul is talking about this idea of, of boasting Okay, he's talking about the pride and arrogance that can then well up within us. Uh, Paul's even talking about himself, how he's had this experience where, where he is seeing God, and there, there could cause with that a sense of boasting. He said, but God has given me what he calls a thorn in the flesh. There's been this weakness that has come into Paul's life. And as Paul sees it through his lens, he says, I don't see this weakness as being useless, but, but God is using this to keep me humble, Right? And, and, and theologians and, and, and Bible teachers and scholars have debated endlessly over the years of what this thorn in the flesh has been. Some people say it's, it's, it's been a, a physical impairment to Paul. Uh, some say that it's been a person maybe that was just like this constant naysayer. Um, there's a lot of theories out there as to what it is. And we just, honestly, the scripture doesn't, isn't super clear on what it is. All we know is that it is a weakness to Paul. Um, and so as we pick up our passage, Paul is starting to talk about this weakness um, and then Jesus' reply to this moment of weakness, whatever this weakness is that Paul has in his life. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through verse 10 says this. Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, about this thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me, that he would just take it away. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. First of all, we see that we bring our weaknesses to God, to Jesus, right? Paul said three times I pleaded that he would take this away, right? That it should, that it should leave me. And like, let's just be honest. Like in, 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 in the broken world that we live in and in, in our lives, we all have weaknesses. We all have things that um, we struggle against, that we fight against. And those things range, right? They, they, they range uh, in all different means of what those things are. Some of them are emotional, we carry on the inside. Some of them are outward, physical things. Some of them are relational weaknesses and things that we walk through. Some of them are just the sin and brokenness of life. They're, they're, those are things that we walk through, right? And I think in general, our culture has come to define weakness in every situation as negative, right? Our culture looks at weakness and says weakness is a negative thing. Um, I mean, we think about our culture's definition of the world, right? And, and we have somebody like, like Darwin who says things like survival of the fittest, right? Of the strongest. And so the strongest are the best. They're the ones that survive. And if you're not there, then you don't. We think about when we go to an interview, right? And the interviewer asks us questions, right? 
one of the questions they ask every single time at an interview is, give me your weaknesses, right? Because they want to know what it is, right, that you're not able to do. And in general, our culture looks at weaknesses always in a negative light. But here in this passage, Paul flips that idea on its lid. He flips that concept that weaknesses are always negative and says that, that with Christ, that even our weaknesses can be used as strength, right? I love the words of, of Pastor John Piper um, when he says this. He says, uh, speaking of this passage, uh, he gives the warning. He says, one of the reason biblical Christianity has to be so drastically distorted in order to sell it to mass markets is that the market wants power to escape weakness in leisure, but Christianity offers the power to endure weakness in love. I love that idea, right? Because whenever we think of weakness, whenever I think of a weakness I have in my life, the first thing my mind goes to is how can I fix it? How can I eliminate it? How can I get it out of my life? Right? And that may be the case. There may be times that God gives us the strength and God takes those weaknesses away. But certainly, as, as Paul says here, that there are going to be times that we have weaknesses in our life and that God may not take that weakness away, but he's going to give us the strength to walk through that. Right? Um, here specifically, I, I don't think the weakness Paul is talking about here is, is sin. I don't think that's what he's talking about. We, we absolutely live in a broken, sinful world. And as a result, there are things that we walk through. But I think here what Paul is referring to is more of a, a struggle that we have, uh, uh, situations that happen within our lives, right? Um, later on in verse 10, I think Paul defines some of these weaknesses for us, what, what this may look like. Um, when he says... For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses, right? These, these things are less than ideal, these lack of strength moments in my life. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, right? Insults, we all know what those are, right? That's when somebody is saying something negative against us. They're mocking us. They're making fun of us. Hardships, these are circumstances that are forced upon you out of your control, right? Um, hardships are those situations that happen to us as a result of life. And most of the time, those are out of our control. Um, persecutions, this is, these are wounds, abuses, and painful situations, prejudices because of your faith. Or even as our culture, sometimes we see those because of just who you are, because how God created you, who you are. Uh, and then calamities, these are circumstances that weigh you down to the point of, of, of not being able to stand these crushing moments in life, Right? Paul says that I've, I've learned to be content in all of these weaknesses, in all of these areas. All these weaknesses that we have. And, and for some of us, this is going to look different than it is for others of us. Some of us, these, these moments, uh, and I know there, there are those among us this morning that have had to endure physical pain and suffering and weakness for a season, Right? And I think that's, that's very real. I think Paul is speaking to that in this moment. But I also know for some of us that, that he's also speaking to some of those emotional struggles that we carry as well. And I know that's very real as well. Right? I've, I've shared uh, previously when we were talking about the life of Elijah that like, that's where my struggle has been in my life. Right? It hasn't been, I haven't uh, experienced a lot of the physical pains of life, but the emotional side of that has been so real in my life. There's been seasons of my life just wrestling with worry and, and doubt and, and questions and things like that, right? Uh, I've, I've talked about before, uh, there's been moments where I've like not even wanted to, to get off the couch. I just wanted to tune out from reality and just jump and escape reality into something else. 
because I felt like the worry of the real world was just too much to carry. And so I know in those moments that these weaknesses are real, whether that's an outward one that you can see and, and, and document and experience, or whether that's an internal one that maybe nobody but you can see. I think Jesus, as, as the mighty God, is, has an exchange for us today. Because I believe the words of the old children's song, the song that I sing to my baby every night before I put her down. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. We are weak. But he is strong, right? And I believe that. And so here, as Paul pleads and asks God to take away this thorn in the flesh, right? Instead of saying that he's going to take it away, what does he give him? He gives him grace instead. He gives him his grace, right? Paul, Paul said that I prayed and pleaded that the Lord would take this away. But his response was, my grace is sufficient for you, right? My grace is sufficient for you. We know um, this word grace is, is a huge term, right? It's just a loaded term. And a lot of times we think of grace in the means of our salvation moment, and absolutely that's what it means. Um, it means God gives us unmerited favor, right? We are, we are sinners. We don't deserve God's favor. But because of his love and kindness and because of the work of what Jesus did for us, he in turn gives us grace, right? But that's not the only scope of grace. Grace isn't just reserved for salvation. It's also grace extended for our entire life as a follower of Jesus Christ. I love how one, one person put it. They said, grace is God's unmerited help for one undeserving with no thought or ability to give recompense. Grace is not some static concept, but is a dynamic force which totally transforms the believer's life, beginning with salvation, continue, continuing in sanctification, more and more this process of us becoming like Jesus, and then all the way through to eternity, to our glorification, to when we are with him. Right? One person has said the grace that saves us is also the grace that sustains us. Right? That grace, the grace of God that, that is enough for us in those moments. So notice what, what Jesus says about the grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient means that it's enough for you. Right? In other places it'll say that my grace is actually more than enough. Right? He lavishes it on us. It's, it's, it's above actually what we even need. His grace. Another person put it this way. He said, in the present context, as Paul's speaking of grace in this moment, he said, grace is far from being some abstract entity, right? Speaking of supernatural power, but, but, but is speaking of some supernatural power that is available to Paul to enable him to bear up under his weakness, this trial of the thorn in his flesh. It's not just this, this, this concept, right? I think a lot of times we like to take words like grace and we like to put it in this concept of like, Oh yeah, there's this thing that God did and, and it's just like this moment and he was graceful. Yes, I'm going to say it, but it has no application for my life, my everyday life. But that same grace is just as true in those trials and those struggles that we walk through in life that he gives us the grace. His grace is sufficient enough for us to stand in those moments. I love how Paul says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. He says, through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. I love that picture. It's not grace, it's just a one-time moment. We're, we're in this grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that picture of just standing in the grace 
of God, that his grace is sufficient. No matter what we're walking through, that God is with us and he's going to give us the grace to sustain us, to keep us going in those moments of life. I was uh, reading a story this week about, um, this, is, this is a story back in church history, back, uh, back in the 16th century, there was a man named Thomas Hawker. Um, and Thomas Hawker was a, he was a, a well-liked, well-respected young man, very popular, had a lot of friends. There was only one problem, was that he had a faith in Jesus Christ and wasn't willing to turn back on that. And so in this period of, of the world, right, um, he was arrested and sentenced to be burned at the stake because of his faith. And, and as the story from history goes, there was a, there was a day in which, uh, it was the day before his execution, and Hawker had a very dear and close friend that came to him in prison before his execution. And in a very low, hushed voice so that the guard couldn't hear him, he, he came up to Hawker and he said this. He said, Hawker, oh, he's like, i got to know, right? i got to know if what they say is true. you got to tell me. They tell me that in the midst, in the moment of intense pain and suffering, right, that your grace is sufficient for, for people, that it's enough. I have to know. He said, so tomorrow, in that moment, right, in that moment when, when you're at the most severe suffering of your entire life, if it's true what they say that his grace is sufficient, will you put your hands in the air so that I can know that it's true? And Hawker said, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. So the, the day of the execution came. This is in uh, England in 1555, and... The day of his execution comes, and, 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 and the word about this conversation has spread, and so everybody is eagerly anticipating this moment. And Hawker is um, there, and they, they chain him up to the stake, and, and the man comes and, and sets the fire underneath him, and Hawker is, is there chained here in this moment, and he's preaching the gospel. He's just telling any, anybody and everybody who's around about the faith that he has in Jesus Christ, right? After a few minutes, the flames start to rise, and smoke starts to rise and all of a sudden Hawker is no longer speaking, he's no longer moving and, and what seemed to go on for hours but was probably only minutes it seemed like all hope was that he was that he was dead, that he was gone and then all of a sudden out of the flames and the ashes as history records right, Hawker starts to raise his hands in the air and he claps three times as a sign, as a symbol to let all of his friends and those around know that God's grace is sufficient his grace is enough, even in the moments of our hardest trials and, and explanations. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. I think it's interesting here that Jesus' reply to Paul's prayer in this moment, he doesn't give him an explanation, but he gives him a promise, right? He doesn't tell Paul why he's going through this. He doesn't even tell him why or, or how to get through it. He just tells him a promise. He said, my grace is going to be enough for you. Right? My grace is sufficient for you. The grace that enables the believer to suffer and endure without grumbling and complaining. This grace right, that, that enables even in those weakest moments so that God could receive the glory. You see, as Paul is, is writing this letter to, second, uh, to, to the church in Corinth here in 2 Corinthians, um, He's also writing it, like I said a few minutes ago, to address some philosophies of the day. And one of those philosophies that was very prevalent in Corinth was the philosophy of Stoicism. Um, and the philosophy of Stoicism says this. It says that, um, that man is sufficient in himself for all things. 
He is able by the power of his own will to resist the shock of circumstances. Right? That's basically what, what, what Stoicism said. It said that man is sufficient in and of himself, which is completely opposite of what Paul is writing here. Right? Grace sufficiency, the grace that God is sufficient for my, for my needs is the exact opposite of self-sufficiency. So, so Paul here is writing to address that. And I think about that, and I think about our culture today. And, and even though we may not call it stoicism, that sounds a whole lot like what our culture says to us today, right? You should be strong enough. You don't need anybody else, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We, we've even called this the American way, right? That, that if you just work hard enough and do enough, like you can be self-sufficient on your own and you don't need God or anything else. In fact, sometimes our culture even looks at God and says that's just, a, that's just an eternal crutch that people use, right? That they should be strong enough on their own and of themselves no matter what they go through in life. I feel like that's just a complete opposite picture of what Paul is describing here. That's the opposite picture of what being, uh, of, of what Jesus' grace being sufficient for us is all about, Right? And I don't think I'm the only one. Hopefully you guys see that in our culture, in our world as well. And so let's pause for a minute. I want us to just talk about that for a minute. Right? How do you see our culture, the American way, the I can do it in my own strength and my ability, how do you see that in stark opposition to Jesus calling us to trust in his grace? Right? Maybe how have you seen that in your life? How, how do you see, maybe you've had people that have said that, like maybe you've gone through a, Maybe you're in one of those moments or have gone through one of those weak moments and maybe the advice that you've gotten from someone has just been, you should be strong enough on your own, right? You just need to get over it, right? Just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do that, right? How do you see that in opposition to what Paul says here um, in 2 Corinthians? It's really Jesus saying that, that his grace is what it is that will be sufficient for you in the moment. Not your own ability, not your own strength, but it's a trust in his grace to get you through those moments. So let's take a couple minutes and talk about that, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Okay. I love that. Um, I love that picture of Jesus flipping the script on stuff. Right. It's kind of that's what grace is. It flips the script on those things that were true about us um, to things that are that are true. Grace flips the script on um, those moments in in our lives and. Grace then flips the script on weakness to result in strength, right? And so when, when we live this way, right, when we, when we trust Jesus with those weaknesses and we give those to him and he gives us our grace, what that looks like then to the world around us is that my weakness puts Jesus' strength on display, right? That's what I believe Paul's talking about here. He says for Jesus saying that my grace is sufficient for you. He says, for my power is perfected in weakness, in the weaknesses of our humanity. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? So what, is this, what does this change in perspective look like for us? Um, it means that we no longer look at 
those weaknesses as negative as our world does, but also realize that those become opportunities to put on the strength of Jesus, to put on the grace of Jesus, so that ultimately that God would be glorified in our lives, right? I don't get the sense that Paul viewed his suffering as some tyrant that controlled him, but that it was something that served him to grow him more and more into the character of Jesus, right? And we think about who it was that Paul was following, who was Paul's who was Paul's model in life? It was Jesus. As Isaiah would say in the 53rd chapter, verse 3, talking about this Messiah. He says this of the Messiah. He said, He would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Right? We don't follow it. Jesus, that life was easy, but yet he endured suffering for us. He becomes our model in that. And when we then can take weakness and suffering that we experience in this life, and we can put Jesus' grace, and when Jesus says that my grace is sufficient, and we can walk in that, right? That puts on the glory of God on display for the world around us. He says that, he said that my power, right? Jesus says my power is perfected in weakness. I love what the, what the theologian uh, Harry Ironside said about this. He says, The weaker I am, the better opportunity Christ has to manifest himself in me. I love that. May God give each one of us to take the place of the subjection to the will of God where, um, where we can glorify him in our infirmities. Right? When I can put on Christ, even in my lowest moment of life, right? and I can walk through that, right? And people talk to me and ask me, how did, you, how did you walk through that moment? How did you walk through that suffering and that pain and that experience? And I can tell them that it was only by the grace of God that I was able to do that. It doesn't point to my glory. It doesn't boast of, of me, but it, it boasts to him. It boasts of his glory. It's interesting here that the word for perfected, right, that our love would be perfected that, that, that is used here, is the same word, the same root word that Christ yelled out on the cross when he says it is finished, right? That same root word for perfected is the same word that Christ screamed out from the cross. That moment that forever finished uh, finished it for us. And through his, through his uh, perfected weakness, uh, or our weakness that he perfects in our life, right? We can put him on display. And so I think about our lives, right? And I think about what are those weaknesses that we carry, Right? What is it that, that we can use in our life that we're going through that we can use to show the world the sufficiency of the grace of God? Right? What is it in our lives that we can, we can take and the world looks at that and says, man, that is a weakness. Right? That's a struggle. Right? And, I can, and we can take that and live in the strength and the grace of Jesus to show the world that truly this is the power of Christ in me. This is the strength of Christ. When I can walk in and walk in those moments. And so what does that look like for us today? Right? There's just kind of two two attitudes I think Paul Paul builds on here, two two things that Paul would have us to do from this passage. Uh, first, the action is to boast of those weaknesses, right? He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Right? So what does that look like for us in our lives? Right? When I'm when I'm going through something hard and, and, and life is, is pressing down and I don't know 
how I'm going to make it, but yet then to walk in the grace of Christ, to, to walk in the sufficiency of his grace, and to use that, right? And notice, this, notice how Paul says it. He said, I will gladly boast. I will gladly tell the world of my weaknesses. What would it look like if we became people that as we walked and navigated the, the roads of this life, right? That we didn't hide our weaknesses, right? Because that's the natural thing for us to do. Like, we don't want to tell people about our weaknesses. We don't tell people about our struggles, right? Because from our cultural perspective, right, that, that seems like weakness. It seems like, like a negative thing. And so we, a lot of times we try to hide those things, right? We try to cloak them in, in, in convenient ways and helpful ways to our culture. We don't talk about those things that we're struggling with in life, and we keep them tucked away very safely as we feel like from the rest of the world. But yet, as Paul says here, I will boast all the more gladly. What would that look like in our conversations to just be transparent with people? To just show those people that are close to us and the people that we're around that, yeah, you know what? I'm going through some hard times, but yet I've found that the grace of God is enough for me. That it's sustaining me. Yes, it's not fixed yet. It's not perfect yet. But God has given me the strength to walk through those moments. What would those conversations start to look like? Because the result then is that, as Paul says, that the power of Christ would be on me. It would run through me, right? When I can, when I can boast of those things. And so the action, the call to action for us today is that in our weaknesses and those things in life that we are struggling with, right? That we wouldn't just hide those away, but we would put those on display, that we would share those. And not in a prideful way, because that's the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. Not an, oh, feel sorry for me, oh, pity me, how woe is me moment. But let me tell you about the incredible grace of Jesus that he's given me to walk through these hard things in life. Right? Not only does Paul say that we should boast in those things, but also his, notice his attitude in the midst of all of those, right? In the midst of his attitude, he said that I've learned to be content. Contentment. I think contentment may be the most elusive, elusive characteristic in our culture today. Right? I mean, think about our culture. Think about our world around us. Think about everything that the media and all that goes with that pushes in our face every single day. You don't have enough. You need more. If you just had more of this, then you would be content. If you just buy that new car, you would be content. If you just buy that new house, then you would be content. If you just had this relationship, if you just had these friendships, you don't have enough. You need more. If you could get all of those things, then you could achieve happiness. That's what our world says, right? It pushes in our face. You always need something more to be content, right? And certainly, certainly when you're going through heartaches and, and things are hard and you're experiencing calamities and insults um, and people are, are persecuting you, certainly that shouldn't look like contentment, right? But Paul said, even in the midst of my weaknesses, in the midst of all of those things, I have learned to be content, But I also want to say that there's also a lot of grace in this in this moment, uh, to use our word from a few minutes ago. There's a lot of grace in this moment. This, this attitude that Paul had, I'm sure, didn't happen overnight for him. But it was experienced over a lifetime of him leaning on Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus, even in his weaknesses, even in those hard moments, for him to get to the place where he would say, I've learned to be content in all things, Right? I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have nothing, and I've learned to be content, right? I don't think for Paul that didn't happen in a moment of his conversion, 
but it happened over a lifetime of following Jesus and experiencing the sweetness of the sufficiency of the grace of Jesus. That's how we grow in that, right? That's how we grow in that attitude of contentment. It comes through practice, right? I don't think for us today that we're going to pray today, Lord, make me content, and then tomorrow I'm going to be the most content person in every situation, right? But I do believe that God's going to give us opportunities to be content, and it's going to be a struggle, but as we struggle through those opportunities and we learn to not rely on, on things or people or relationships, but the sufficiency and the grace of Jesus, I think as we do those things, it's going to grow our contentment overall, right? And the more opportunities that we get to experience the grace of Jesus, the strength of Jesus as we walk through hard times in life, as we walk through suffering, the more we experience that, the more we're going to learn what it's like to be content in all things. Right? I mean, for some of us, a good place to start might just be learn to be content with the good things in life. Right? Like, let's just be, some of us really struggle. Things can be going great and things can be wonderful and we're still not content. God, as we look around at our life and we say, man, God has given me an incredible relationships and incredible uh, amount of things. I live in a country where I have freedom. I live in a house. I live where I don't have to worry about food, but yet I'm not content because I want the next thing. Maybe that's a good starting place for some of us. To not look across the street or look to the friend or look to the social media post and say, if I just had that, then I would be happy. Maybe it's to look around in my life and say, man, God has been so generous to me. You know? Because if we can't learn contentment in that, it's going to be really hard to learn when we're actually going through suffering and weakness. So contentment, learning to be content. Learning to give up those things that we actually can never hold. That's the thing about contentment in our culture is like you can never actually grasp it. Right? As soon as you achieve whatever it is in that moment, as soon as you reach for whatever that goal is that, that your world or your social circle tells you that you need to reach, right? that goal just raises to the next level. So as soon as you get that brand new Apple Watch, as soon as you get that new relationship, as soon as you get that new car, as soon as you get that new job, right, the status quo then jumps to the next level. And we're always chasing this thing. We're never able to reach it. I love, I love what the missionary Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that, right? Like, are we willing today to kind of just let go of, of our definition of, of what our world around us says contentment should be and start to look at that through the lens of the grace of Jesus? Because when we do that, when we do that, then our weaknesses become opportunities for strength. When we can learn to let go of those things that we chase after and, and things and we go through hard times, then we start to change our perception on those moments. And those moments that to us seem like weakness before then become moments of opportunity of great strength. Certainly it's not our strength, but it's an opportunity to put the grace of Jesus on display for the world around us. Well, the words Paul writes uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians, in the first chapter, uh, verse 27, he says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, we are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteous and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Like, what if that became the thing that we boasted about, right? What if that became the source of our strength? Not what I can do, not what I can, can, can bring to the situation, right? Not what I can... Not what I can identify myself as or, or think of myself as, but what if my boast became in whose I was? So then my life just became a reflection of that. I'm going to close with this, uh, this last quote from uh, Warren Wiersbe. I think this is, I like what he said. He said, strength that knows itself to be strength is actual, actually weakness, but weakness that knows itself to be weakness is actually strength. I love that, right? When we think that we're the strongest and we think we've got it figured out, it's actually not strength at all. But yet when we realize that we're weak and we're broken and we need him and we need his grace and his sufficiency, that's when we're our strongest, right? Because it's not in our own strength, but it's in his strength in us, Christ in you, right? That's the strength. And so as we as we kind of wrap this up today and as we think about exchanging, I know that that for all of us, like if we're if we're truly honest today, I know that for all of us there's a weakness that we carry along, right? And and for some of us we've 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 covered that for a long time, right? And and we kind of hide it from the world because we've seen it as a as a negative thing. Um, but we all have a weakness, right? For some of us, we're carrying around a physical suffering weakness that we're walking through, right? And so today maybe for you the exchange is to say, you know what? God, I know God doesn't promise that tomorrow that that's going to all be done away with and gone and I'm going to be back restored to perfect health. That's, that's not what the Bible says. He might act in that way. He may not. But would you be willing to just give that to him today and, and trust that even if he doesn't, that his grace is going to be sufficient for you in that moment? For some of us, we carry those on the inside, right? We carry those, those struggles and those lies that we believe in our mind and those, those things that we keep telling ourselves, we carry those on the inside. And so for us, would we be willing today to, to turn that into him, to exchange that for his grace and say, yes, it's going to be a struggle, right? And that's, like I'm just going to tell you, that's hard. Um, as someone who, who's a worrier, it is, it is hard in that moment to say, you know what, I don't know how this situation is going to turn out. I'm not even sure it's going to turn out good but yet I'm going to trust his grace even in the midst of that, right? But we only grow in that when we put our trust in him and we allow him to do that. That's what I've seen um, in my life, and I know it's going to be true in our lives. And so um, today, um, as we conclude, Josh and Kayla are going to uh, lead us in one last song. Uh, it's a new song, but I love it. I've been listening to it this week. Um, and as I started <laughs> listening to it, I was like, man, these guys are prophets because this song just lines up so well with what we've been talking about, but the, but the lyrics of the words is just like, thank you, Jesus, right? Like, that's the course of it, it's just thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, thank you, right? And so in, as, we, as we respond through singing today, um, we also have, and, and hopefully you guys, uh, everybody got an index card, um, and there's nothing magical about writing something on an index card, we know that, um, but there is something sometimes that's kind of like significant in that. And so today, what I would ask you to do is if there's a weakness that you're struggling with, um, something that you're just, man, I've just been trying to, to carry this thing on my own and, and, and just uh, trying to do it in my own strength, my own ability, because that's what I feel like I need to do. Um, 
I just ask you today, like, as just an outward symbol of that commitment, that you would just write that weakness down and throw it in this box that we've labeled grace, right? And it's just as a visual picture of, you know what, I'm, yes, it's going to be hard, but I'm not going to try to carry it on my own, but I'm going to trust that the grace of Jesus is going to be sufficient enough for me, and whatever that is, Right? And I promise that we're going to keep this confidential. We're not going to like post these or anything like that, right? But this is, but this is, this is just a place. It's just a an outward way to respond back to what Jesus has done. And so, as they come and lead us in this last song, um, I'm going to set this box just right here on the table. Um, and just as you write down a weakness that you have and put it in that box, just simply as a symbol of you giving it over to Him um, in this moment. I just pray that you would do that. So let's pray, and then they're gonna they're gonna sing this last song with us.